Welcome into Loho Daily. I am Loho, a.k.a. Lawrence Holmes. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I wanted to talk about the Yoan Moncada signing. I talked a little bit about it on the air, and I, I ran some of this stuff on the air, these cuts. But now that Moncada has spoken about this contract and how he feels about the White Sox as a team, I felt like I could add a little bit more context to the conversation. Plus, there's the actual breakdown of the contract that we didn't have on Friday afternoon that we have now. So here's how it breaks down. $70 million deal, five-year contract could turn into six. I'll explain in a minute. He gets a $4 million signing bonus, payable in equal installments each November 15th from 2020 to 2023, and salaries of a $1 million a year this year, $6 million, $6 million as they say on the Ankin Law commercials, $6 million in 2021, $13 million in 2022, $17 million in 2023, and $24 million in 2024, which brings us to that next part of the deal. There's a team option for 2025 for $25 million, and it comes with a $5 million buyout. The option price can increase by a maximum of $2.5 million based on his finish in MVP voting from 2020 to 2024, $2.5 million for winning and $1.5 million for second or third. Keep in mind that Moncada was a, got MVP votes. Like If you look on his, his baseball reference page last year, he finished 21st in MVP voting in the American League last season. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the White Sox. I think this is a really good thing. I think he's a a good player that's on on the verge of a breakthrough. And what ended up happening with him this past year, I think is kind of remarkable. Where you had a player that struck out 217 times in 2018 and looked like while you could see some of the flashes of talent that he was never going to get comfortable in the strike zone. Never going to get comfortable looking at some of those pitches. So it's one of the things that I wanted to know when talking about Moncada. I actually had this conversation with the general manager of the White Sox, Rick Hahn. Take a listen to what he said about the way Moncada has grown, and specifically with the strikeouts. We, we, we got into this a little bit, and I'm glad that we did. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with what we were talking about probably at SoxFest a year ago, or at least last offseason, at least when it comes to his approach at the plate. Uh, he, right after season ended last year, went out to Arizona and, and went through every at-bat that he, uh, that he struck out on and worked with Ricky and worked with our hitting coaches to break down exactly the ways that he could improve his approach at the plate. And, and as we made no secret about publicly, we were we were – Obviously, no one was satisfied with what he did in 18, but that was a that's such a better foundation to build off of a guy who knows the strike zone and just needs to be more aggressive earlier in the count on hittable strikes, as opposed to teaching a guy who's all over toes to nose and in and out of the strike zone, swinging at everything. That's that's real tough to rein in. Ankata had the starter kit that coaches love to, love to teach, but build off that discipline to teach you to hunt more strikes earlier and do damage on them, what you're capable of doing. So I think that mindset helped kick in, and I think that he also realized how pitchers were trying to get him out and how he was helping them uh, by going too deep sometimes and falling behind in counts by letting hittable pitches go. 
As for third base, you know, Johan made no secret. He, he told us he had gold gloves as playing third base back in, back in Cuba. Now, no one's produced these gold gloves, but he had told us that uh, he was real comfortable over there and he was going to show us that, uh, that that was a natural position for him, and, and I think he did. I think it allows his athleticism to take over on, on more bang-bang type plays, and, and uh, you can see the type of player that, that he is. You've had a couple players in the White Sox organization, great players, and Paul Canerco and Frank Thomas, who went through this too, Frank more so than Paulie, but the idea of, I know that's not a strike, even though it might get called a strike, how hard is it for a guy that does have a sense of what the actual strike zone is for for them to let go of kind of what they know because they're getting rung up on looking strikeouts? Yeah, and that's obviously that can only happen when you have two strikes on you. And, and we at no point wanted to instill in anyone, Moncada included, that, hey, with two strikes, you know, you need to swing at balls out of the zone. That, you know, the umpire might make a mistake, so you better expand. We want him to protect better, obviously, with two strikes, but at no point was it about making him, you know, chase or anything, so to speak, when there were two strikes, so to cut down on those those undue looking, you know, called looking. Uh, it was more about earlier in the count, you know, oh, oh, or when there's one strike on you. If you're getting the ball that you can do some damage on, let it let it eat. You don't have to wait for the exact perfect spot. You don't have to work for the walk. You don't have to wait till you're 3-1 to, to really get after it. Uh, and, and that's where I think you saw more of it. You saw fewer uh, called looking on two strikes simply because he didn't quite get there. It was He was doing his damage earlier. So you're seeing the approach. The approach is go and pick your pitches. Don't let them control the at-bat. And Moncada took to that, and you saw a real rise in his production last year. You know what's crazy to me? Looking at his home road splits, they're almost identical, which feels like it's a good sign that you have a player who isn't different home versus away. And 35th and Shields is kind of known for being a hitter's ballpark. So being able to see a player that, and the thing with Moncada is, his numbers are actually better on the road. His numbers aren't aren't bad at home. I'm just saying that on the road, they're even better. And there's a higher BABIP. I understand that. And it was the BABIP was in the 400s. So that's a little too high. But check out his home and road splits. Moncada last year at home, 309, 352, 569 for 921 OPS. And then on the road, so they were same. I, I should have said they were they weren't better. They were the same. 321, he hit better on the road. 381, 528 for a 909. So he slugged more at home, but he got on base and hit better when he was on the road. The Babip at home, 380, which is still a little high. The Babip away was 429. The other thing that I think was cool is him coming back in September after that hamstring injury. And he in August he was awful, like coming back from it. And then in September, 412, 455, 647, 1.102 on base plus slugging. That is top notch. And you're talking about a player that dropped his strikeouts by 7% from 2018 to 2019. That's incredible. He went from 217 strikeouts in 2018 to 154 strikeouts. 
He was a five-war player. I'm mixing both wars. Because I think for Fangraphs, he was 5-3. And then for baseball perspective, he was 4-6. That equals 4-9. Let's call it five. Okay? Five-war player last year. Played a pretty good third base. Got himself some MVP votes. So along with talking with Rick Hahn about this, I also talked with Steve Stone about it. Why we saw a better version of Moncada in 2019. There was a couple of things that happened, Lawrence. Number one, he was uncomfortable at second base. I don't think a lot of people realize how much responsibility a second baseman has because a second baseman has to not only cover on steals and cover on bunts, but he has to know exactly where to go on cutoffs. He has to know, am I the first cutoff man? Am I the second cutoff man? Where do I have to back up? Where do I have to be at every given time? And he was not a natural second baseman. I think second base was a tough place for him to play. And it showed in his hands, it showed in his airs, and he really wasn't comfortable. It showed in his offense because if you're not playing well defensively, it's the rare guy who can just put that glove down and worry about the bat. Plus, he's a young hitter. So moving to third, which is a more reactionary position for him, where you can take advantage of his quick reflexes and the fact that he has a very strong arm, he just settled in defensively. He was fourth in the league defensively at third base. His reflexes are very good to both sides. He's got a strong arm. He throws on the run as well as anybody around. His problem at third comes when he has too much time to throw the ball. But I think everybody was pleasantly surprised with what he did defensively at third. And with that, and a suggestion by Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu said, look, uh, you can't put every at-bat in the hands of the umpire because in 2018 – He was called out on strike three more by a wide margin than anybody in baseball. And Jose said, you know, occasionally you've got to swing early in the count. Occasionally you might want to swing at the first pitch. He knows you're going to take every first pitch. If he knows you're going to go deep into every count, you're not going to see real good pitches. But if he doesn't know what you're going to do early in the count, then he'll have a tendency to try to make the pitcher's pitch. He misses. Now you're ahead of him. Now you have a very offensive at bat. I think that was the biggest difference, being comfortable defensively and understanding what pitchers are trying to do with him. So if you're taking every pitch, they're going to use they're going to use half the plate to throw to you. If you're occasionally hitting the first pitch, they might only try to use a third of the plate. Consequently, they will fall behind more. That was really the key with Moncada. And now he has made that adjustment. It's great to see. There's one more piece of sound that I want you to hear, and then I want to talk to you about some stuff that Moncada said about this. And it's the idea of getting guys to sign early, to buying out their years of arbitration. Rick Hahn is a master at this. I'm not sure what he's doing to to, to get guys to sign, but he is successful in doing it. So when I had him on, I asked him about this because I think it's a... It's a big part of any story when you talk about Aloy, Robert, Moncada, those guys getting their deals done, Tim Anderson, getting their deals done and being happy about those deals. It sounds a little cliche, and you hear it more often when you when you make trades that you want both sides to win, you want both sides to be happy. Uh, but it is 100% accurate you know, in the trade context, but even more so in when you're dealing with long-term deals with young players. You want it to be a win-win. You want a guy to get a lifetime of security and, and feel 
uh, comfortable and so that they only have to worry about their performance on the field. And obviously from the club standpoint, you want something that gives you some certainty in, in each of these situations, uh, you know, a little more control than we have under the current you know, uh, uh, free agency setup. So on paper, you need to look at these things and, and see what's the player getting, what's the team getting. And, and we haven't converted on all everyone we've tried, but on you know, the ones we have converted on, both sides have sort of come to a meeting in the minds that this is mutually beneficial. And, you know, as the player's career evolves, if for whatever reason uh, they quote-unquote left money on the table because of the, the, the deal they struck and they wind up outperforming that, that contract, I think the guys we've entered in these agreements with are, are the type of players who understand that you know they did that at a time that gave them a lifetime of security and their family didn't need to worry anymore. And on the back end, there's gonna they're gonna get paid once they do hit the free agency. You know, you saw Sale was able to turn it into a, another long-term deal and certainly should have zero complaints about the, what his career compensation path went went down. Uh, but again, that's part of it working out for for both sides, and and that's extremely important when you're when you're dealing with your own guys. So Moncada will either get twenty five million dollars when he's thirty from the White Sox, or or they will have bought him out, and he'll have an opportunity to be a free agent. My my guess would be they'll end up signing him to a long term extension by then if he continues to play the way that he has. But look at the 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 stuff that they've done. Tim Anderson had the six year deal. Back in 2017, Aloy with $43 million in a six-year deal last year, $50 million in six million for in six years for Robert. Bummer just got an extension for five years. Guys that they think are going to be here for a long time, it it's crazy to me that they get this stuff done and everyone seems to be happy. Now, the next part of this is are you gonna win? Moncada said this about signing away his arbitration eligible years. It's good to have this done and then just pull put all my focus on the season because, like I said before, I have big plans for the season. I'm expecting to have a way better season than I had last year. Close quote. If he has a way better season than last year, then we are talking about MVP. He went on to say, my agents were the first ones to ask me, what I wanted to do, you know, what the plans were in the long run. And then I told them I wanted to stay here in this organization. Then I think they were the ones who approached the team and started all the conversation. And I'm very glad that this happened. So here you have the player saying to his agent, let's make something happen. I want to stay here. Let's get a deal done here. Let's not wait. Good for him. Good for the White Sox. Good for Rick Hahn. Now the only thing left for the White Sox to do is stay healthy and play baseball. I am jazzed about the 2020 season. I have a a, a whole podcast later on this month about what I ended up doing with my season tickets because I am making a similar commitment to the White Sox that the White Sox made to Moncada in scale, in scale. I don't have millions. But I upgraded my ticket package because I think they're going to be good. They better be, or else I'm going to be like, get my money back. I'm not going to do that. But you know what I mean. Thanks for listening.